You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. A quick look back at U.S. midterm elections and at what did and didn't happen. Is Iran looking at waging cyber-enabled economic warfare? If you use Apache struts, update now to avoid remote code execution. A spyware delivering app is smishing Spanish-speaking users of the Play Store. And once again, people really seem to think that Elon Musk will return them their Bitcoin donations tenfold. Enough people to make crime pay, anyway. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, November 7th, 2018. The U.S. midterms are over with, as the Wall Street Journal puts it, no significant foreign influence seen by either officials or private companies watching the vote for cyber attacks. That is, there was no apparent wave of hacked databases, manipulated vote counts, voter suppression by electronic alteration of records, systematic fraudulent voting enabled by computer network attack, denial of service, and so on, what we've had occasion to call hacking proper. This is despite the various problems found in voting hardware around the country, no more than usual. Most observers didn't even see a particularly large spike in election-targeting information operations. Facebook did confirm that the coordinated inauthenticity they found in about a 100 accounts the social network suspended this week was connected to Russian operators. Those operators included, unsurprisingly, the notorious St. Petersburg troll farm that calls itself the Internet Research Agency. The various ongoing influence operations spotted seem to amount to a new normal and can be expected to continue post-election. Some of that disinformation will seek to shake confidence that the election was fairly conducted, as the U.S. Department of Homeland Security emphasized in press briefings yesterday. All that matters to the adversaries is creating an impression that the vote was untrustworthy. All of this is, of course, gratifying to see. The apparent lack of hacking proper may remind older observers of what happened, for the most part nothing really, at the end of the Y2K panic. But it's also likely that, as Fifth Domain reflects, that the relatively smooth election was the result of some intelligent preparation over the past two years. There's surely more effective sharing of information between federal agencies and state election bodies, 
and the Department of Homeland Security seems to have been patiently working to build some sensible consensus models. What effect, if any, the barking about U.S. Cyber Command's ability and willingness to rain virtual scunion down on foreign state that so much as looked sideways at the polling is, of course, unknown. The U.S. willingness to openly signal that it was prepared to cry havoc and release the dogs of the World Wide Web was interesting and will be worth watching in the future. Those interested in nation-state threat actors and what might be expected of them may find the Foundation for Defense of Democracies outline of Iran's cyber-enabled economic warfare interesting. Their analysis suggests that Iran's willingness and ability to learn have made it a more dangerous actor in cyberspace. The study also concludes that re-imposition of sanctions against Iran for what the U.S. considers Tehran's violations of the agreed framework to limit nuclear proliferation in the region will embolden the regime to resume cyber attacks against economic targets in regional rivals like Saudi Arabia and perennial adversaries like the U.S. and Israel. In the aftermath of a data breach, it's become routine for observers to keep an eye on the dark web to see if and how quickly the breached data makes its way into underground online markets. Christian Lees is CISO, and he also heads up the intelligence team at InfoArmor, where they spend a good amount of time monitoring the dark web. The state of the dark web today is, in my humble opinion, could be compared to any other major marketplace, right? It's it's driven by supply and, and demand, and it's much like an organism. It, it moves, it, it corrects itself, it adapts. I see being in the dark web every day, I see it uh, absolutely growing. It's, it's growing massive hmm. very quickly. We see marketing messages certainly towards consumers that it's this, uh, this scary thing, this, this bad neighborhood that you don't want to accidentally <laughs> wander into or, or find your information in there. Uh, how does that uh, compare to what you see? It's actually a great question. You know, I, I mean, again, I think that when, you know, consumers, when we think of the dark web, we automatically think of that guy with the hoodie and, you know, he has like no face. And, and in my humble opinion, I, I really think that what's going on in the dark web is, uh, again, of course, naturally we have this kind of elite closed area, kind of like what you alluded to, right? Almost like a speakeasy, right? It's like two knocks and a whistle and they open the door and you get in. Hmm. There, there's certainly that kind of environment, you know, very closed uh, marketplace. But this is really for the elite threat actor. And I think what we are seeing today is is these elite threat actors uh, that are very difficult to get to um, are more willing to kind of engage third-party brokers. Uh, and that's where we kind of see the dark web absolutely expanding, right? So let's, let's let these third-party brokers resell in the more kind of open environment. So for organizations that are out there trying to protect themselves, how do they, what's an appropriate way for them to dial in the amount of concern and attention they should pay to the dark web? That's a very difficult question, right? Because we are doing nothing. Uh, we as consumers and we as organizations, we are doing nothing but increasing our digital identity every single day. And that's that's what fuels the underground economy, right? For example, compromised credentials, which is largely commodity-based data in within the underground economy. Um, but but we are so willing to go use uh, our credentials, oftentimes, unfortunately, our corporate credentials for these third-party websites. This is where 
the suppliers gets their goods, right? Uh, compromising these third-party websites and, and, and that fuels the underground economy. So I think that many organizations, uh, you know, they, they have a sophistication level that they can monitor open source environments and uh, check for their data. But for the, you know, small to medium businesses, it's pretty difficult, right, to understand the dark web. And, and, and you know, obviously I recommend that they they partner with a, with an organization that, that helps them hunt the hunter within the underground economy. You know, I speak all over the world. I, you know, I, I, I speak to, you know, the InfoSec community. And something that I find a little disappointing is I hear this, this constant trend or this constant comment in, in the info security world of it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And it just drives me insane. So <laughs> I would just like to take one minute and acknowledge the amazing work that that uh, that that the good people do. The info security we protect every day. We do a really great job. So I just I, I think it's really worthwhile just to to acknowledge that. Mm. However, having said that, I, I something that has uh, that we are currently researching in the underground economy is you know threat actors. They are. Like I said, the underground economy, it's its an organism. It adapts. It moves. They are in recognition at how well organizations do protect. Uh, for example, you know, it was not long ago that you could simply go to your bank with your username and password, right? Yeah. Uh, so threat actors were regular selling a username and a password and a URL to log into, and, and a threat actor could have, have a heyday with that. Um, however, today... Um, these organizations tend to protect with with variables, system variables. So threat actors today are actually not only selling the credentials, they're also selling the variables of your environment, of your machine itself. So for example, if I were to go to my financial institution, they're going to look at um, perhaps my browser or an MD5 hash in my browser. Uh, They're going to look at perhaps maybe cookies that I have on my system, uh, or, or you know, patching level, or the re- resolution of my screen, and and they're going to make kind of like this pre-decision about me prior to ever successfully putting in my credentials. That if if my environment doesn't essentially match uh, the the known variables of of these credentials, they're going to step up challenge uh, me. And threat actors have you know they've gotten wise to this. So now in these uh, underground economy, you know, dark markets, they're actually selling not only the credentials, but they're selling the user's environments, uh, the variables uh, along with it, the cookies, the, you know, all of the settings. And they package it up in just a, a, a small uh, web browser extension that you load. Therefore, mm. you can bypass the step up challenge, which to me is absolutely mind blowing. That's Christian Lees from InfoArmor. The Apache Software Foundations urge users of Struts 2.3.36 to update the Commons file upload library to avoid a remote code execution flaw. Struts is widely used and the recommendation should be taken seriously. Security firm Trend Micro warns that a malicious app in Google Play is appearing in Spanish-language smishing attacks. At the end of October, Trend Labs researchers found an app, Mobile Secure, available in the Play Store. It represents itself as a mobile token service, but was in fact spyware. 
The developers, who've succeeded in getting other malicious wares into the chain-link-fenced garden of Google Play, were unusually slick and persuasive in offering a professional-looking impersonation of a legitimate app. But, of course, you don't really need to even be that persuasive. For example, nobody falls for advanced fee scams anymore, right? I mean, really, right? I mean, you know, who's going to believe that someone would actually marry you if you sent them some money? After all, that scam was exposed as far back as the Three Stooges' Crash Goes the Hash, Opus 77, 1944, when the society matron was saved by freelance reporters from the bogus married proposal of a crook who styled himself the Prince Sham of Ubidarn. By the way, if you don't know Mr. Howard and Fine's Opus 77, our film criticism desk recommends it highly, a film of novelistic complexity, they say, going on to call it a ringing affirmation of journalistic integrity and a rejection of the bald cynicism of Citizen Kane. Two thumbs way, way up, and it makes last year at Marion Bad look like an 8mm knockoff of It's a Wonderful Life. And for sure, no one would think that Elon Musk is actually, like, giving away ten times the amount of Bitcoin you send over to him just to establish your identity, right? <sighs> Wrong. It seems that a relatively convincing set of hijacked Twitter accounts, up for only about a day, convinced people to send in 392 Bitcoin payments, amounting to about $180,000. Let that sink in. People were convinced enough to act 392 times and give the bogus Elon a nice 180k payday. But what's that, you ask? Weren't people looking for the blue check seal of authenticity? They were looking, and the blue check was there for all to see. They overlooked usage errors and bad grammar to swallow the fish bait, hook, line, and sinker. So those who live by the blue check die by the blue check, figuratively, of course. So if you're asked to send some money in advance, just don't. And if you slip up and do, then lawyer up. May we recommend someone like I Cheatham, the attorney featured in the Stooges' fine Opus 83, Pests in a Mess. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. 
Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Justin Harvey. He's the Global Incident Response Leader at Accenture. Justin, it's great to have you back. Um, I wanted to touch today on breach notification laws and the impact that they have on incident response. What can you share with us? Well, I've been seeing a trend that companies are rushing to notify uh, regulators of, of a data breach. And the startling aspect is how they revise their numbers. And I'm not going to call anyone out specifically, but you see uh, some organizations that are uh, reporting the tens of millions or the hundreds of millions identities that they have been uh, suspected to have been stolen. And that sets off a a firestorm of activity. People are getting worried. They don't know really yet if they've been affected And many times these organizations can actually do themselves a disservice or harm by alerting the regulators and being so public because the adversaries are now aware that there has been a breach and and, or that they have been found. Hmm. And I think that a, a more pragmatic approach has to be adopted by our industry uh, by organizations and by regulators to have a a time period for investigation. My team frequently f- responds to these large-scale incidents and in, in breaches. It's really quite startling being on the inside and, and not exactly knowing the extent and then uh, organizations go public. There's still a little bit of revising that has to happen in in the public sense. So I think that Regulators really need to give that uh, time period to uh, to companies in order to get their facts straight, to understand the uh, the scope of the impact, and be able to articulate that in a very clear way to the public before uh, before rushing to judgment. So, do you envision this being something where the uh, the organization could could perhaps contact the regulators and say, "Hey, we've had a breach," and 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 then allow them to make their case? This is why we think it's in everyone's best interest to wait a little while uh, before we go public with this. Yes, I think that there is a graded uh, or there's a gradient uh, approach that should be adopted by regulators so Mm -hmm. that uh, the the first level would be we have an incident. We think it's it's uh, of this scope. But give us some time and be able to have a dialogue with regulators saying it's going to take us two weeks to do the forensics on these 30 machines. And then after those two weeks, we will report back on what we know. Uh, and if it is if there's some empirical data to support the initial uh, compromise vector and the initial compromise numbers, then the regulator can then uh, help them go public from that. But right now it seems to be more of a Boolean, a black and white uh, decision point by by regulators. Hmm. All right, interesting. Justin Harvey, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. 
proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.